We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two, all engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff, we have liftoff. Hello and welcome to 10 Questions. This episode is the Denise Scott episode. It's such an honor to have her on the show. Yes, she's hilarious and an icon, but she's also one of the most generous and supportive performers in our industry. She started off in a clown troupe, gained national recognition on the big gig and tonight live with Steve Vizard, put in several most valuable player performances in the Agony series before writing a couple of best-selling books and touring the nation with her comedy bestie, Judith Lucy. In this interview, she leaves nothing in the shed. For your reference, John is her husband, and her children are Geordie and Bonnie, and Judith is, of course, Judith Lucy. As usual, I started by asking Denise when she was most happy. It's a good question for me because it makes me think, oh, am I ever really happy? Uh, And I do have this one half-hour period of my life where I was in total bliss. And it was after the birth of my second child. So my first child, of course, is going to be terribly hurt that it's not him. But um, I had to have cesarean births. And the first birth with my son, Geordie, was really, uh, you know, emergency caesarean, so I was unconscious, had a general anaesthetic, woke up, there's a baby there, you know, I've got stitches across my... I I was a bit of a mess. And so for the second birth, I was phobic, quite phobic about the up-and-coming surgery and being awake for it because I was determined to be awake. Mm. And being in an operating theatre and being awake absolutely terrified me, even if there was going to be a baby at the end of it, you know. And so uh, I went to, it was like a counselling course for for people, who mothers who were going to have caesareans who were terrified. And it was way out in the hills. There was only one group did it, one birth centre place did it. Went there and um, so I was really prepared and, so I'm in the operating theatre and, you know, and this it is extraordinary because you know they're cutting you open, you know. And it's so weird but I, I knew how to get more drugs into me, how to tell the anaesthetic I need more <laughs> drugs. Anyway, my daughter Bonnie was born and it was really fantastic, you know, that I was awake and there's this beautiful baby and everybody's happy, all the surgeons, everybody and John's there and everybody's happy and yahooing and then sort of stitching me up. And then post-surgery you have to spend half an hour at least in a post-op ward, you know, where they monitor you. So... I was in this room and there was only one other patient who was still out of it in a general anaesthetic. So he was snoring and there was me. And I thought, this is the last time I'm going to be alone probably for many, many years. This is my last chance. And I had pethidine running around my system. It was full of, I guess it was pethidine. I don't know what, what I was on. But I remember feeling, 
euphorically happy. And I had my second baby. I told myself that was it. I'm never going to have to go through this again. I'm, I'm done. I've, I've gone through this fear and I've got the baby, but bonding well. And I've just got this half an hour to myself. And I loved it, wow. even with this strange man snoring beside me. I remember that as being really happy. And and the coda to that story is that Bonnie is having a baby in November, I, yes. you, you tweeted. Her story is great. It's a great COVID love story. And, and that makes me happy too. I've got to say her story is, is uh, that story makes me happy because she was in, should I tell you or? Yeah, yeah, she was in New York and I. Uh, yeah, yeah, so she's please. been in New York since her early 20s, you know, a determined, determined, gut-wrenchingly determined to make it in the New York visual art scene and uh, and really, like, really tough, really, really oh, tough yeah. on your nerves and and. So she lived really impoverished life, always had fabulous partners, always artists, no money, you know, and sort of living the dream but really, really hard work. And then finally, I'm sure she won't mind me telling you this because she, she really went awry and, and suffered, ended up in a psychiatric hospital in New York. It, um, it was just a terrible this is less than oh, a little bit more than two years ago. It all came to a head, and all that time, since she, she's thirty-five now, all the time she was there, I'd think, I just wish she'd come home. I just wish she'd come home. Mm. And then finally, she gets through all this stuff, and she she's done it. She's got through uh, the the psych hospital bit. She's got, and she's determined to stay in New York. And then she rings, it was just before the pandemic started, just as, so March 2019, 2019, 2020, 2020, and says, oh, mum, COVID's going to be really, it's going to hit New York really bad and I think I should get out, you know. I think I need to get out. And I can't believe I did this. I said, now listen to your mother sort of thing. You've been through all this. You've put so many years in. You've been to the bottom and you've come back on top. You stay put. You stay put in New York. You've put to, don't don't be silly and don't over dramatize. <laughs> so I'm telling her to stay in New York where pretty soon the parks were going to become morgues. And uh, thankfully she didn't listen to her mother and she uh she got out on a plane when you could easily get a plane just before it all changed. And she had to come back and you had to self-quarantine. Hotel quarantine hadn't even started. But it, so and she'd had a, a, a holiday fling with a boy, you know, in a suburb, only two suburbs from us. <laughs> she hooked up with him as soon as she arrived. He went into quarantine with her. And they've been madly in love and devoted ever since. They're having a baby. They're really happy. She's the happiest I've ever seen her. Well, wow. until she hears her mother's told her story on this podcast. 
<laughs> she doesn't mind. It's a pretty awesome story. Whereas my son, he stayed. He's in Nashville. He's a right. muso. Yes. He and his girlfriend have stayed in Nashville, so they're still there. Right. Okay. Um, question two, Denise, who would you like to apologise to and why? <laughs> uh, I... I've tried always through my life to apologise as I go, you know, and I've had to do some excruciating ones. But one girl I never apologised to, and it was I did something that was so out of character and that I've never done since. And so when I was in, it must have been year 12, because I was never any good at sport, like, of course, of course I wasn't. And I went to an all-girl Catholic school and we were divided into, you know, houses. Is that what you call You know, so there oh, yeah. was Corley House and Loretto House and I was in Mercy House, <laughs> um, you know, and our colour was gold and we'd be divided up for sports days. And, of course, I never played any sport. But, and as a joke... I was voted the vice captain of the Mercy sports team for the whole school. It was a joke. But anyway, I then took charge of the marching team for Mercy because girl, Catholic girls' school loved a march. Of course. You know, like, da 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 and we'd march in time and all that. Well, I took on the marching girl team running it and training it. And and Zoe Finch, hello, Zoe, if you ever hear this, um, Zoe Finch was not taking my instructions seriously. <laughs> and she was out of time. And I knew we could win this marching if only Zoe Finch would, would take me seriously. And she didn't, and I slapped her face. <gasps> Isn't that, can you believe that? Like, it, it, it was like this evil, uh, oh, it, I, she, I, I remember her face and mine as just staring at one another because I wasn't known as a face slapper <laughs> back in the day. And, uh, yeah, I just, anyway, she, we won the marching. That's. You know, that's the story. So I apologise, <laughs> but we did take home the cup that year. You had to take drastic measures. Um, the third question is, what is your greatest regret apart from slapping Zoe? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Where, it's hard to say if it's my greatest, but lately it's uh, I'm very aware I really regret not having a breast reduction. Right. You know, and and it sort of used to be not such a real regret. Now it's like, oh, why didn't I get this done? Why didn't I get this done when I was younger? Because it they just well, you know, and they just get bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's not. And it, I I think. Fucking hell, I'll never be able to wear a decent top. You know, a, a top that isn't extra size, you know, quadruple XL. 
And did you have a choice? Did you did you sorry? Did you think about it uh, at various stages in your life? I know because this phobia about surgery, yeah, right, is there. When I say phobia, it's it's I'm always scared something's going to go wrong. It's not, mm. but and also maybe it's the old guilt, you know, Catholic guilt. Like you've been given this body, don't mess with it. You know, yeah. uh, look after it. So, uh, you know, I am. Um, so that's what I always thought. But now it hurts. Oh, mm. oh gosh, it's tough. Mm. Having, yeah, that's a regret. Yeah. And I also regret, I do regret not enjoying my work more. It took, it took me so long to enjoy being a comedian. Most of it I was quite tormented by or tortured by. or mm. And it's really only been the last few years that I've thought, wow, well, if I'm not going to enjoy it now, quit, like for God's sake. Dead mm. soon. And so I only really started to enjoy it in the last few years. And then even if it goes well, that's what I always find fascinating. It can go really well and still you worried about something after it that um you know i did a gig recently it was actually dave o'neill it, it was in between lockdowns there was like one night when you could do a gig and i did one at a, ho- a room he runs in a small hotel nearby and i determined i thought said to myself i am going to really take this gig seriously Small hotel, there were going to be no more than 50 people because of COVID restrictions. And I am going to craft a set and I am going to learn that set. And I am going to go on stage and I am going to calmly and confidently deliver that set. And I am going to have confidence in my jokes and I am not going to veer from that plan. And honestly, I get up on stage and I'm performing in front of an open fireplace, right, and immediately it starts to smoke like the wood. Smoke terribly, like (laughs) to the point where you couldn't see me kind of thing. And so I completely abandoned, of course, I had to my plan, and not only did I end up doing that, but I ended up attacking this fire with the poker, screaming at it, you fucking piece of shit, you just, you know, and getting people from the audience up, offering to ab- abandon the gig because it was becoming really, you know, and, <laughs> and then got talking about asthma and, uh, you know, and so... I came off thinking I was just like this insane mad woman, went on and on and on, like 45 minutes of me talking <laughs> crap that I hadn't sort of planned. And it was fun, but it was interesting that I, these days I'm pretty loose and can't stick to a plan. I think that's better. I, I think you actually means you're engaging. Certainly engaging, but people, people, response to that is really interesting. They want to know how much I've been drinking. 
Ah. And whilst I love a wine, Adam, I don't <laughs> drink before a gig. Um, or, or they'll use, because of my age now, they'll might throw in the word dementia. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, yes. What will you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? Oh, um, I need to clear our back shed. <laughs> it's full of stuff. It's not my stuff, I have to say. I don't have a problem with getting rid of stuff. But I'm the only one in our family unit that does not have that problem. Mm-hmm. So, and we've got this really quite big, when I say shed, it's big. And it's full of artworks, <laughs> um, clothes, um, books. But both my kids love books, uh, but for some reason can't seem to take them to wherever they live. I don't right. know. Um, so there's books, there's some musical instruments, there's it's, some of it's quite good. That's why it's, it's hard to get rid of. It's not like you can just, you know, toss your daughter's artwork out. No. It's, it's a lot of artworks because she's yeah. made a lot of art. Um there's and then there's all John's. What does he call it? Things he might use one day. <laughs> old tins of paint. Um, he's got my things from my parents that I chose to let go of. He's snuck back into the shed. Wow. Okay, that's a big job. It's a really big job, and and it it's. I know I'm getting it, probably getting ahead of myself, but I don't want other people to have to deal with it, you know, when, when I die. I think, well, and also I think, wouldn't it be great if we could use that space? Yeah. Um, who is the person who most influenced you and how? Oh, without doubt, my mum, ferocious influencer. Having a mother who tells you she hates what you do it's it's like a it, it is a knife through the heart, and it's it, it's something you don't recover from really. So I carried that, and of course. and I even maybe this is taking it too far, but oh, you, and you know, you when you asked before, my biggest regret, I think mm. apart from breast reduction, I think it was that I didn't see this situation clearly enough to go, my mum hates my work, so be it. I need to to let go of that and move on and get on with it anyway because there's never going to be pleasing her in this wow. field. But I didn't, you know, I, I never, so I had to wait until she died basically to kind of go, oh, well, now I can run free of that. But she was really embarrassed by it and I hated I, I I hated that for her. I hated her being embarrassed. So so did did she dislike some things more than others? Or like for instance, was she a big gig fan or was she oh, or did, hated the big gig? I, I don't know that she watched it. I presume she did because she was a curious woman. Uh-huh. So I assume she watched it, but she never spoke of it. Tonight Live? Oh, that was when, and look, I 
I don't know how she... Tonight Live, there was a point where um, Steve Visard was going on holidays. Now, I don't know, but he got... What's her name? Sophie Formica. Sophie Formica and I to co-host. Now, totally inexperienced, you know, and Sophie was like this young, spunky. Today she would be your influencer, your Mm -hmm. classic look gorgeous influencer. I was this at-home mum who sort of ambled out and oddly into TV studios with not a lot prepared, not knowing what I was doing. And we were both on a a Beauty and the Beast type panel um, as part of Tonight Live. And that was fun because Sophie and I were so different, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that worked. But then we co-hosted and I remember I telling my mum, they've asked us to co-host Tonight Live for a week. And she went, she gasped in horror and she said oh oh Denise do you really think you're ready for that but Adam she was spot on I wasn't ready for it it was awful it was oh my god I it was gobsmacking and my mum would have had to watch this train wreck and we did a week of it and we did things like we interviewed these two men that had said they'd got been taken as aliens on a spaceship (laughs) these two american men i think a film had been made about them or whatever (laughs) i remember thinking well i don't believe this but that you know they are guests but I think Sophie, whatever Sophie said, I'm going to blame Sophie. I don't know who said it first, but literally shut them down, and they never said spoke to. They never said another word. Oh wow! And we, <laughs> we're just sitting there, these two women, who basically had nothing in common ourselves and no working rapport ourselves, <laughs> and just shut down our guests. And then there was another time. I did, a, ABC did a thing, a show called Smallest Room in the House. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I'll never forget, you have to tell a personal story, you know, <laughs> personal story, preferably with a bit of sadness, you know. And yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I told the story of how I'd been told I wouldn't be able to have kids and what that meant. And now I was quoting a woman at the bar in Aubrey where I lived and she'd had cancer of the cervix and I just found out I wasn't going to be able to have children because I had a weird womb and she said well you've got a fucked fanny and I've got cancer of the cunt cheers you know we had a drink cheers she had a whiskey and I loved that quote and I so I kept it in, and the ABC were always, we'll probably have to edit that out. Oh, no. For language purposes. And, but, I, you know, of course they didn't edit it out. So I was the first woman to say fuck and cunt in the same sentence on the ABC apparently. Oh, wow. I know, quite, I wear that medal with pride. 
Yeah. But you can imagine. So I'm picturing my mother. <laughs> All I'm thinking, and I literally was hoping, this is terrible, at the time she had a minor heart attack and I was hoping that the minor heart attack would keep her in hospital one more night so that she wouldn't see it, but she was out. And um, <laughs> anyway, and she saw it and there was nothing because we used to talk on the phone every day and because she lived by herself and so I'd ring her every day and there was nothing and I didn't ring her because and finally I rang and chatted and then I thought, I, I said, did you see the show the other night? And she, I, oh, there was this pause and she said, yes, I did. <gasps> and then she paused again and then she said, I absolutely hated it. Oh, my God. And I, and I said, oh, Mum, was it the swearing? And she said, no. And I said, well, oh. what was it? She said, well, I felt you were talking about me. And I said, oh. but I wasn't. And she had interpreted and heard this story because she blamed herself for my weird wound, you know, that sort of thing. And that, ah. and uh, and and she thought it was about her, and she, that I talked about her on TV. And I, I so interesting. Yeah. Did she like the books? Uh, she didn't read the book. By the time I wrote the books, she, her Alzheimer's had kicked in, so she never got to read the books. But having said that, when she was in the dementia unit. She she knew I was her daughter, and I the love that came from her because she didn't oh. she forgot I was a comedian. Oh, wow. <laughs> so all that stress of worrying about that was gone. She just thought I was the best. Like she just thought I was wonderful, and she would show me off to people as her daughter. Could not have been prouder. That's actually great. Yeah, at times she thought I was a nurse, which oh, <laughs> that thrilled her that I'd become a nurse. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. You know, you had to, in those days, fight the the huge sexism that was in stand-up comedy and comedy in general, but you also had to fight your mother's unwillingness to accept you as a comedian. Yeah, and that was to do with it being unladylike mm -hmm. and also... As she was of an era, you know, where you don't talk about your personal life. Exactly. But it's, it's a terrible thing to do. And and I would have loved to have not had to resort to that, but I had nothing else. I couldn't just create jokes, mm. you know. I wasn't really a joke smith at all. I was a storyteller about what happened today, you know. Yeah. Um, Denise, when was the last time you cried and why? So our son, Geordie, so he is singer-songwriter and Geordie Lane, mm. if anyone cares to look him up, and he and his partner, Claire, and their dog, it has to be said, Tazzy, their dog, is very much their child. Mm -hmm. um, so they live in Nashville and they had arrived in Nashville the last time to, to really settle and focus there. This was also just before the pandemic in the February and a tornado went through 
Nashville, um, shocking tornado, and it went down their street. And their house survived it, but it was, they thought they were going to die and they didn't have a bunker or anything. Anyway, it was this really big thing that happened to them and they had to get out of their house. They had to move out, but they stayed to help clean up Nashville and all that stuff. And then, you know, they moved back into their house. And um, then, then COVID hit. It was like the next week. And so they lost all their gigs. And so they've been there in that circumstance. Meanwhile, my daughter's here and she's pregnant with our first grandchild. And she was at our house and Geordie had written during the pandemic, he'd gone into this vacant house next to where they live and checked with the landlord. He had no power. There was nothing there. He would just go every day with his guitar and a notepad and a pen and his phone. And he'd write songs and record them on his phone, you know. And he ended up writing 36 songs and he sent... 10 of them to us and my daughter was here and and John um Geordie's dad says oh let's listen while we're all here let's listen to one of Geordie's songs and he put it on and it was about missing us missing his parents and his his sister and the baby he wasn't going to be able to get to meet and his his voice was sort of cracking, <laughs> and one John John cries at the drop of a hat. He <laughs> cry baby, you know, but I'm not. I just well one by one the three of us. So Bonnie, his sister, who's pregnant, and John and I are just sitting at that table, bawling our eyes out because it is that thing where we don't know when we're going to see one another again. You sort of thought it was going to be, well, it could be a year. Oh, it could be two years. And now it's like, oh, well, no use even trying to think about it. Just get on with it. But these songs are beautiful. They're really beautiful. But anyway, yeah, it's it, um, well, that's when we cried. It was really moving. I bet. He's, a, he's great too he's a really good singer how was it for you with your two kids being in the states for so long i mean it's as proud as you would have been i mean it's tough as a mother i think in to some degree that's why i got so busy with work my life was really about work and family Mm -hmm. you know i i didn't really i don't really do a lot outside of that and guard you know homey things gardening cooking all that sort of stuff so yeah I, I'm having both kids in the States and it seemed like that was going to be it, mm. our life, uh, was fairly, well, it was, John and I weren't really excited. We'd look at one another and go, mm, well, where it? Like, yeah. And, um, and then we decided, oh, well, we're, we're just going to have to visit a lot or pay for them because mm-hmm. they're muso and artists and the get going to and from Australia is so expensive. So we'll just spend our money either bringing them out here or us going there. And and then we were just about to put that into place because we've never been to Nashville. Mm. We were about to head off, but COVID changed that. Oh, my God. Oh. But a really 
That, that's what I mean about really, really wrapped that Bonnie's here, that one of them is here yeah. and that she's having a baby. It's sort of like feel really lucky. I think lockdown mm-hmm. without either of my kids around, that would be tough. I, I guess that's what leads into what, what is your current state of mind? I don't know whether it's zen or just empty. Uh, to me, they're kind of, I've never really quite understood the difference because I do, and sometimes I think my crocheting, it's quite addictive and I count. It's, um, you know, if it's a pattern where I have to count like every fourth stitch, so I'll be going one, two, three, four. Mm. And it's, and I think that lulls me into a state of nothing. Mm, which which is good except you know like when judith lucy and i get together when we've got to do some work she'll go how are you i'll go nothing nothing there's nothing there judith nothing it's not a thought she'll go there must be a thought i'll go there isn't it's not just nothing so it's not very conducive to to work practice but um but and then I go because it's lockdown. I feel real despair. I'll I'll cook into. Well, when am I going to see Jordan and Claire again? When when am I going to work again? Am I going to work again? Mm. Um, because I'm also losing touch with that. Mm. So that as soon as you stop, whether it's writing or. Um, Performing, it feels like you've never done it really, yeah. and and it's and so I think, well, I don't know whether I will be able to do it again if if and when it happens, and and then I feel hopeful, you know, it's all. Then I think, oh no, we're going to get through this, and I'll see. I've got a little garden out the front, and I love gardening. And just before this last lockdown, I put in quite a few flowering things like really things that flowered brightly and I lie on my bed a lot that's what I do I love lying on my bed and I can see out my front window and the number of times I see a parent walking their little kid and the little kid bends down and just sneaks their hand through the fence and picks a little flower and off they go and it makes my heart good I feel That's lovely. I know. Look at us. Yeah. Oh my god. Simple things. Yeah. <clears throat> what do you consider your greatest achievement? I'd have to say hanging in and working. Yeah. I never thought about it much. I see myself almost. I want to use the word drunkenly, but I'm not literally drunk. But kind of just ambling, swaying from one thing to another without a lot of plan or thought. It's like, oh, yeah, well, that can be next, I guess. And, oh, oh, yeah, I'll give that a crack. And I don't know whether it's my greatest achievement as such, but it's what I'm really grateful for. Mm. I'm really grateful. I think this is amazing that I am still working. Well, lockdown aside. Yeah. And it's bloody hard. We see so much drop off, like of our colleagues who just go, "Okay, I'm, I'm out." And and to be honest, I don't judge them harshly for that. I think, good, you got out. 
<laughs> you're you're one of the lucky ones. Yeah. But having said that, it's hard to stay in. Yeah, it's it's true. I look at um, and in fact, I'm very humbled by. Oh, I want to say the shit house way I'm aging. I thought I'd be really great at aging. I honestly went into aging because I walk a lot. I'm not an exercise freak, but you know, walk a lot. I'm really engaged with lots of things mm. and people and suddenly just, oh, I felt tired, couldn't be fucked doing anything. <laughs> Got arthritis, like, you know, I can't squat, I can't kneel, okay, you know. And um, Judith, Lucy and I laugh because her shoulders have gone <laughs> and my legs have gone and we feel between us we could be one so we had this image of me being in a wheelchair and her being able to use one arm <laughs> to push the wheelchair around because <laughs> our other shoulders completely gone but we just we uh what am i saying here that yeah at the same time this is the weirdness of life because I look at my friends my age and they're really, I've got to say, quite a, on the whole happier and they don't have as many lines and they, they're not putting on weight because they're not drinking two bottles of wine, you know, for dessert. <laughs> and, they're, and they're really kind of keeping disciplined and, and, and here I am, um, oh, you know, I've got all sorts of, things agey things and but the more like the more weight I put on my skin's got problems the I, I keep getting work so I can't explain it like, it's like well the more fucked I've become <laughs> the more work I'm getting so you know it's weird it's really weird but I think I've returned I always when I first started I I'm as much as I like writing and I love, I like that discipline, it doesn't, it's a big, big effort for me. Mm. Whereas I really do like going out on stage and I have a, a plan, definitely a base plan. But these days I, like I said before at the, at Dave O'Neill's gig, I rarely keep to that plan, mm. but it's there as a backup. And I think in ageing, I've been gone back to really just playing. And the upsetting part is people call it silly old stupid woman stuff and uh, that's comments I get on social media. She must be pissed. She must be, you know. But I think I'm not. I'm just like loose as a goose now. Oh, you're free. You're free as a performer. Um, <laughs> this will be an interesting one. Who, who would you want on your side in a battle and why? Uh, I listen to... Um, Glenn Robbins chat with you and I must admit I'm pretty much the same my partner because he talked about his partner Selena being there for him and John as crazy as John is he's the person I want because he's the person I can come home to and and he just thinks I'm fantastic (laughs) You know, he really does. I'm nowhere near. It do, it doesn't work the re- reverse. Don't get me wrong. John has problems at work, and I go, "Well, you have mucked up, John." <laughs> well, no wonder they're cross with you because you've been a bloody idiot. Blah blah. blah. <sighs> he doesn't get a break. 
but the, um, John just keeps telling me I'm great, you know, and to hang in there and, you know, you'll get through this. And, and also he's got an incredibly thick skin, so he can't even understand sometimes why I'm upset about something. Wow. So it's, it's um, the, in a way, it doesn't get, the drama doesn't get a lot of fuel. Okay. You know, with John. Because he doesn't even get why I'm that upset. That's great. Yeah, John. When years this was years ago. God, how long ago? Twelve years ago. It was when my mum was dying, and I was being trolled online about a joke I'd made on TV, and it was full on. It was really full on, and um, and and it it was horrific. Like people calling for my death, all that oh, sort God. of stuff, and. And the, and the Herald's son were, were on to it and, you know, and my mum was literally in palliative care. So John, you know, he did all, because it was back in the day when there wasn't Twitter. I think it was just Facebook. Anyway, that's where it was coming from. And John took the, all that on board and he would go and delete all the hate from my computer and keep on top of it because... It was really out of hand and he did it all. I, I'll never forget him doing that. So he was having to read the worst stuff written about oh me. Oh, my God. But he did it and try and protect me from it. Oh, my God. Oh, good on him. It wasn't ag- it wasn't agony, was it? You didn't say anything? No. No. Oh, good. But, but it's interesting. It's the sort of show. Agony is the sort of show where you could inadvertently make a comment that you don't even remember saying and then next thing, you know, uh, your auntie Louise is rung up <laughs> and in a state, you, you think, but all I said was it was a funny purple hat or something. <laughs> I, I have had that. I have. It wasn't on an agony aunt show. It was <laughs> on another show where an auntie wrote, it was a handwritten letter, um, and I'd shown a photo of my dad and his brothers because they were really funny people. And it was at a fancy dress night. Yeah, it was fancy dress. It was one of the family fancy mm. dress nights. Anyway, this auntie wrote me a letter and said, I can't believe you did that to your uncle. Well, I won't name him. And I said, what do you mean? What, what did I do? And she said, you outed him as a as a cross-dresser. And I went, no, I didn't. I didn't out uncle so-and-so as a cross-dresser. And she went, yes, you did. I said, yeah, it, was a, it, it was a fancy dress party and he was dressed as a hippie. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> there and a captain. And then I went, so I think what you're telling me is <laughs> what I've learned here. I didn't know. How fascinating! Um, just something with the, with on your side in the battle. Would, would Jude has been by your side also, and like I guess in many you know shows that you guys have done together and everything. So you guys must have a great rapport and a trust there as well. The relationship with Judith is my most prized part of my work for sure, like valued because um, Judith. She hates me saying stuff like this, but she really did. Um, she, 
I don't know whether teach me or lead by example about what discipline can do mm. for you. You know, she approaches her work with such discipline. It's, it's crazy. Whereas I'm much more ad hoc, you know, oh, I might write half a sentence or and then go and put on the dinner and, <laughs> and then work the end of this joke out on stage. Yeah. Often not work it out, you know, fail. But Judith works every syllable and she knows every syllable. I mean, it's... That's great. And I... I found that really a terrific lesson, like to do that and to try and do it. And I still, it's still not quite my style because I can't solve problems sitting at a desk mm-hmm. often. But J- Judith can, which is what's really great working with her because I'll be like, oh, try and try and try, I can't. And she'll go, just do blah, blah, blah. And I'll go, oh, oh. oh yeah, okay. Yep, yeah, all right. Yeah, that works. <sighs> and, um, and we have both been so tormented by loneliness in our mm-hmm. work, like the travelling and performing alone on stage and the staying in hotel rooms on your own and all that, that we just absolutely enjoy the fact that we're not on our own and on stage you know sometimes something of mine won't have worked so well and she's there bringing it home you know and and that works both ways and we also have shared really tough times you know and uh she uh like when she talks about it in her last show and in her book, when her partner, um, you know, defrauded her, when she found out we were actually performing together and we had to go on stage a couple of hours after she'd just learned that the love of her life had been, you know, um, taking money from her for a long time. And, and he was mentioned in the show, you know, very positive way and and we had to work out what and you know I, and I remember we decided we had to act we couldn't we would just say it like a script just say those lines like they're scripted by someone else because we can't change it now because we haven't got enough time and you know and then uh yeah it was it yeah, we're there for one another. That's so good. Yeah. Um, the last question is, what would you like your last words to be? It's been fun. My first professional job was in a clown troupe and I had a clown character called oh, Puff, Puff. And, you know, it was we'd have workshops. There were five of us in the troupe including my old comedy friend, the late Linda Gibson. She, that's where I met her. And we would all have to say what our objective for a scene was. I think that was the phrase, what's your objective? And every single time it was, I want to have fun. (laughs) I just want to have fun, to have fun. And uh, I never said anything else. And I think in life, I, I, yeah, I, as much as I lie on my bed feeling quite depressed, 
a lot. I also do in you know have fun. Thank you so much for tuning into 10 Questions. We'd also like to thank all the guests that appear on the show. And if you have a minute, please subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app and leave us a rating. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me on Twitter at Adam Zwa. So until next time, thanks for joining us.